ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم اما بعد we continue with the explanation of the 40 hadith of al-imam an-nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala and we arrived in the last class to the narration on the authority of abi ruqayya tamim bin aws ad-dari رضي الله عن أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال الدين النصيحة قلنا لمن قال لله ولكتابه ولرسوله ولأئمة المسلمين وعامتهم رواه مسلم So we arrive to the seventh narration on the authority of Abu Ruqayya Tamim, the son of Aus Ad-Dari, may Allah be pleased with him, that the Prophet ﷺ said that the religion is an-nasiha. The Sahaba, they said, we said, for who? Or Abu Ruqayya, he said, we said, meaning the Sahaba, for who? And the Messenger ﷺ responded, for Allah for his book, for his messenger, for the leaders of the Muslims and their common folk. This narration is collected in the Sahih of Al-Imam Muslim Rahimahullah. We covered in the last class that the word An-Nasiha, it entails the meaning of sincerity as well as giving advice. It entails the word sincerity or the meaning of sincerity as well as giving advice. And the Prophet ﷺ saying that the religion is an-nasiha, this statement is from Jawama al-Kalim. Those statements or phrases that the Prophet ﷺ, he says, and they are short in wording but vast in meaning, like al-Hajj Arafah. Like the Hajj is Arafah. Even though it was a small phrase or a small statement, but the meaning is vast. And it gives the one who hears the statement the impression of the importance of what's being mentioned. So the Prophet saying that the religion is an nasiha shows how important an nasiha is in the deen, being that the Prophet described the deen as being an nasiha. The Sahaba they asked the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "Who is the nasiha for?" And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said that it is for Allah, His Book, His Messenger, the leaders of the Muslims, and their common folk. We covered in the last class that the nasiha for Allah, the meaning is having sincerity for Allah. For no one can advise Allah Azza wa Jal as Allah is all-knowing and all-wise. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of anyone or anything from creation. As Allah azawajal describes himself, Allahu samad, that Allah is a samad. Meaning the one who is self-sufficient, independent, not in need of creation. But everything in creation is in need of him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Having the nasiha for Allah, it includes believing in Allah and having sincerity in one's belief. It means to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And that no one has the right to be worshipped except for Allah. We do not worship any prophets, we do not worship any angels, we do not worship anything or anyone from creation. For having the nasiha for Allah is that all ibadah is to be for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also from the nasiha for Allah is to follow the commandments of Allah. That one strives with the utmost effort to implement that which Allah has commanded one to implement. And one is to stay away from that which Allah Azawajal has prohibited. This is a part of having the nasiha for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also from the nasiha of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should have good thoughts about Allah and not think bad about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned that Allah said, and this is al-hadith al-Qudsi, I'm with my slave in the manner that he thinks of me. If he thinks good about me, then for him is good. But if he thinks evil about me, then for him is that. And the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned what means, let not one of you die except that you have good thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is something that is obligatory upon us as believers, that we have good thoughts about Allah. Even in times of difficulty, even in times of trials and tribulations, one should always have good thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and one should never think negative about Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of this is having the nasiha for Allah. Next, the Prophet mentioned having nasiha for the book of Allah in the Quran. And we covered that having the nasiha for the Quran entails believing in all of the books. Because in the Quran, you have the mentioning of the Torah, the Injil, the Furqan, the Zabur, the Suhuf of Ibrahim, the Suhuf of Musa. You have the different books being mentioned in the Quran. And a part of believing in the Quran is to believe in that which is within the Quran. And those books are mentioned in the Quran. So we must believe in the previous books. But as covered, we believe in the original text, that which was revealed to those respective prophets and messengers. As for what's present today, from what's left, then we believe that there is truth in the Bible as an example. However, 
the people who were entrusted with preserving the word of Allah, they did not fulfill the trust. And they change the words of Allah with their hands to suit their desires. So as a result of that, the position of the Muslim, whatever reaches us from that which is present, of the Bible or any book, from the religious books, whatever agrees with the Qur'an, and whatever agrees with the Sunnah, we accept it. We accept it, we say that's true. Why? Because Allah confirmed it in the Qur'an, which is free from error and distortion. Or the Prophet wasallam confirmed it. Whatever opposes the Qur'an, the Sunnah, we don't accept it. i give you an example. In the Bible, it's mentioned, there was a prophet by the name of Noah. We say yes, that's true. Because in the Quran it mentions the prophet Noah. In the Bible, it's mentioned that Noah was commanded to build an ark. We say yes, that's true. It's mentioned in the Quran that Noah السلام, he was commanded by Allah to build an ark. But then you have in the Bible, stories which depict prophets and messengers as being individuals who are evil and conniving. We don't accept that. Because Allah, He chose the best of men. This doesn't mean that the prophets cannot fall into error. The prophet, But the prophets are free from falling into major sins. As for the lesser sins, it's possible. But the story as an example of Dawood salam, the Prophet David in the Bible, that he seen the breast of a woman and desired her, so commanded he commanded that her husband be put in the front rank of the army so that he can be killed, so he can take the man's wife. We don't accept that. Because that's deception. And it's betrayal and other than that. And this is not befitting for the one who's coming with the message of Allah that he's going to set up a man to be killed to take the man's wife but yet he's the one who's carrying the book of Allah to the people the story that's mentioned in the Bible and I'm paraphrasing that David he, he looked like in a garden or something and he seen a woman's breasts and as a result of he desired her But she's married So what did he do According to the story in the Bible When there was a war He commanded that her husband Be put in the first rank So more than likely What's going to happen to him He's going to get killed So now He's in the front rank He's taking the first onslaught Of the enemy he get killed, she's a widow, now he can go and marry her. We don't accept that. We don't accept that. Why? Because the prophets and the messengers are the best of the people. And the prophets and the messengers are free from khiana, like betrayal and deception, khidat. The prophets and messengers are free from that. You don't find 
that Allah is going to choose someone who has the characteristics of being like a liar or deceitful and then give the message to him to convey to the people. We don't accept it. We don't accept it. Or was mentioned in the Bible of Maryam having a husband by the name of Joseph. We don't accept that. We don't accept that. But now, whatever is mentioned in the Bible, or any religious book, from the previous books, but there is nothing in the Quran to confirm or deny. What do we do then? We say we believe in that which has been revealed from Allah. We don't say it's true, we don't say it's false. Because it's possible you may say it's true and then it's false, or you say it's false and then it's true. And this is the direction that we got from the Prophet ﷺ. He is the one who told us to treat the previous scriptures or that which remains in this manner. So having the nasiha for the Book of Allah entails believing in the previous books, meaning in their original forms. Also, we believe in everything that is in the Quran. One is not to have any doubt about what's in the Quran. One must practice the Quran. This is a part of having the nasiha for the Quran. Implementing the commandments of the Quran, staying away from the prohibitions. Also, one must defend the Quran when one has the ability to do so. One must call the people to the Quran and be patient upon calling the people to the Quran. I want to share with the brothers some speech from Sheikh al-Islam Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah rahimahullah ta'ala And he speaks about the condition of the people as it relates to the Qur'an So he says Hijr al-Qur'an anwa' The abandonment of the Qur'an is different categories Ahaduha Hijru Sima'ihi Wal Iman Bihi Wal Isra'i Ilayhi Turning away from listening to the Quran. This is the state of some people. They abandon the Quran by turning away from listening to the Quran. And they turn away from believing in the Quran. And being attentive when the Quran is being recited. They turn away from that. That's one category of people. Wathani, Hijrul Amri bi, wal wukuf inda halalihi wa haramihi, wa en qara'ahu wa amana bihi. A second category of people, those who abandon implementing and practicing the Quran, and stopping at that which the Quran has made permissible and that which the Quran has made impermissible even if the person reads it and believes in it so this category of people they may be people who read the Quran but they don't practice what they read from the Quran and when Allah has established or what Allah has established of halal and haram they don't stop at those boundaries they transgress them even though the person reads the Qur'an and he believes the Qur'an is the truth. وَالثَّانِثْ هِجْرُوا تَحْقِيمِهِ وَالتَّحَاكُمِ إِلَيْهِ فِي أُصُولِ الدِّينِ وَفُرُوعِهِ 
واعتقاد أنه لا يفيد اليقين وأن أدلته لفظية لا تحصل العلم The third category Abandoning Using the Quran as a judge In one's affairs Or And returning back to it For judgment in disputes In the Fundamentals of the religion As well as the branches of the religion And from the abandonment of the Quran Is to believe That the Quran does not Entail certainty As it relates to The proofs and evidences And that is only And that its evidences is only like verbal But it's not something that's like a sure thing And it doesn't bring about knowledge The fourth category of people as it relates to the abandonment of the Qur'an Those who abandon pondering over the Qur'an I mean, They may read it but they don't reflect over the meaning Those who abandon seeking to understand what the Qur'an means and knowing that which the one who has spoke with it intends from it. The fifth category Abandoning using the Qur'an as a means of a cure Abandoning treating oneself with the Qur'an And all of the sicknesses of the heart And that which is connected to that from sickness So the person he seeks cure and a remedy for his sickness from other than the Qur'an and he abandons treating himself with the Qur'an. What this means, and don't understand this to mean that it's not allowed to use medicine. As we have the Prophet ﷺ commanding with treating oneself with that which is known to be a treatment. And that, that's from the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what's intended here is that the person does not think of the Qur'an as being a means of remedy. He doesn't see it fit to cure the, the ailments of his heart. So instead of going to the Qur'an as an example to treat his sadness, he listens to music. He says the music is going to soothe his heart. He's going through a hard time, so he's going to put on some, some, oldie, some oldies but goodies. Instead of going to the Qur'an and read the Qur'an to treat that sickness or that sadness that's in the heart. Right? Right. No, people do that. People listen to music as a means of therapy. But in reality, the Qur'an is the therapy for the heart. The Qur'an is the therapy for the heart. So the abandonment of using the Qur'an as a treatment... This is one of the categories of abandoning the Qur'an. Also, as we know, 
the Quran is not also is not only, excuse me, a treatment for the sicknesses of the heart and the soul, but it's also a treatment for the physical ailments. As we have in the narration where some of the companions they were in a, a village and they sought to be hosted, but the people of the village refused to host them. And then the leader, the chief of the, the people, he was stung by like a scorpion or either bit by a poisonous snake, and now he's sick. So the people, they come to the companions asking them, do they have a ruqya? So the companions say, Ya refused to host us. We have a ruqya, but you have to give us something in exchange for us treating him. So they agreed. So I believe it was Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu an. He went to the man and went to the part of his leg where he was bit or stung and he blew on the area, slight saliva, and he recited the Fatiha over him. And he said the man, he just stood up as if nothing ever happened. But now the companions were concerned. Was it allowed for them to eat that food that was given to them? So they said, wait till we get back to the Messenger of Allah. So when they got back to the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he mentioned what took place. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ أَنَّهَا رُقْيَا أو كَمَا قَالَ صَلَى And what made you know that it was an incantation, it was a ruqya or a means of treating a sickness or an ailment? And then the Prophet, you know, he joked and said, and give me my portion of... The, the, the slaughtered animal But the shahir or the point Is that the fatiha was used to cure a physical ailment And even Shaykh al-Islam uh, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah Rahimahullah ta'ala He said once he had got sick in Mecca And there was no doctor around He said he treated himself with fatiha And zamzam water Treated himself with Fatiha and Zamzam. So the point, Barakallah Fikum, don't forget to use the Quran as a means of Rukia when you get sick. And this doesn't mean that you cannot use other medicines that are known to be a source of remedy. But don't abandon the Quran and the usage of the Quran as a means of treating one's sickness and ailment. For the words of Allah Azza wa Jal are powerful. But one has to believe. One has to believe. And, and this was a question asked to the scholars. You find that a person is sick and he recites Fatiha over himself, but he doesn't become cured. Like right away. Why is that? And the response was due to the lack of the person's Faith and certainty. Abu Sa'id, he was sure that the Fatiha was going to cure him. So, as a result of the words of Allah, along with the strength of his Iman, it was effective. But then you have those who they recite over themselves, but at the same time, they're wavering like, this might not work, but I'm going to do it anyway, type right. No, you have to have certainty. When you recite over yourself 
and you you treat yourself with the Quran, you have to have certainty that it's going to be effective. You have to have that certainty. Also, another Marabarakalafikum when treating oneself with the Quran. And this was mentioned by uh, Sheikh Al-Albani, may Allah have mercy upon him. That a person when treating himself with the Qur'an, he shouldn't just give up. Because the first time he did it, he didn't see the results he wanted, or the second time. And he mentioned that sometimes when it comes to treating oneself, you have to tr- you, the person needs more than one treatment. And he referred to the hadith where the man, he had an upset uh, stomach. And he went to the Prophet wasallam, and the Prophet directed him to take the honey. He took the honey and he came back still complaining of the ailment. And the Prophet wasallam, a second time told him and go take the honey. And then he came back for the third time complaining of the ailment. And the Prophet said, your stomach has lied and Allah has spoken the truth. Go and take the honey. So sometimes the, the treatment needs or the person is in need of more than one treatment and it's not that the treatment doesn't work but rather the person needs more than one treatment so always if a person is suffering from an ailment and he's treating himself with ruqya and the likes continue it don't stop because you don't see the uh, results right away and this does not mean not to go to doctors and get get a checkup and the like doesn't mean that but some people they, they understand with the a false understanding that having to wakal upon Allah means you don't go to doctors and you don't get checked out. Or you don't take medicine. The Prophet mentioned that the the taking of the medicine is from the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet said, There is no sickness that Allah has sent down except that Allah has sent down the cure along with it. Those who know it know it, and those who don't know they don't know. So this is an indication of the permissibility of using medicine that's known to be effective. Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions, وَقَالَ الرَّسُولِ يَا رَبِّ إِنَّ قَوْمِ اتَّخَذُوا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ مَهْجُورًا And the messenger, he said, O oh my Lord, indeed, my people have taken this Qur'an as something to be abandoned. So this is what the messenger will say on the day of judgment that the people abandoned the Quran. May Allah Azza wa make us from the people who love the Quran and practice the Quran and do not abandon the Quran. What's that? Uh, Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah in the books Al-Fawaid. No. We now come to al-nasiha li Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Have al-nasiha for the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The nasiha for the messenger of Allah has the meaning of sincerity and advice, but during his lifetime, the advice that is. During the lifetime of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's possible that he can be advised. It's possible an idea can be given to him that's not his own idea. As an example, the trench that was built around Medina 
in the battle with the trench, that wasn't the idea of the Prophet ﷺ. Rather, it was the suggestion of Salman al-Farisi to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet took the advice and they dug the trench. Also, one of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ advised him when they had went to perform the pilgrimage and they were prevented by the polytheists from entering into Mecca and the treaty of Hudaybiyah was reached or signed or agreed upon and the Prophet ﷺ had commanded the companions to slaughter their animals and the companions may Allah be pleased with them they didn't go and slaughter their animals right away and it wasn't out of disobeying the order of the Prophet ﷺ because the companions they are the best of the people and we say nothing but good about them rather what it was it was they was hoping that the rule would change because the Prophet ﷺ conveying from Allah the promise to them that they will enter into Mecca so they thought it was going to be that year so they was hoping that the messenger would come back and the rule would change and they would go ahead and go in to Mecca performing the pilgrimage so the Messenger ﷺ, he went amongst his family and mentioned that I commanded them to slaughter the animals and to cut the hair and they didn't. So she said, O oh Messenger of Allah, you go out and you cut your hair and slaughter your animal. That was advice given to him by his wife. Showing that women can advise their husbands. And husbands can accept the advice of their wives and it doesn't take away from their manhood right because the Prophet Sallallahu accepting and taking the advice of his wife it did not take anything away from his manhood rather it was from him being a man and him being the best to his family that he took her advice and he went out and cut his hair and slaughtered his animal and the Sahabas they rushed to shave their heads and to slaughter their animals and following the example of the Prophet Sallallahu And there are other examples. Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu an would give advice to the Prophet Sallallahu and suggest matters to the Prophet Sallallahu And Allah would send down revelation. Agreeing with Umar he said like the changing of the qibla and the hijab of the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu and how they dealt with the prisoners of war and other than that. Also, having the nasiha for the Prophet Sallallahu is to aid him. In his lifetime, the sincerity for the Prophet was to aid the Prophet Sallallahu as was done by the Muhajireen and the Ansar. And especially the Ansar who opened up their land, who opened up their town, their city, and welcomed the Prophet Sallallahu and welcomed the migrants from Medina and from other places where companions migrated from to the Prophet Sallallahu So they aided the Prophet Sallallahu and they aided his da'wah. And a part of having the nasiha for the Prophet ﷺ is to love him. And loving the Prophet ﷺ, we have to love him more than any human being. 
as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he mentioned, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده وولده والناس أجمعين. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said, none of you truly believes until I become more beloved to him than his parent, his child, and all of the people. So the Prophet ﷺ, we must love him as a part of our iman, that we love him more than we love our own parents. And that we love him more than we love our children. And that we love him more than we love all of the people. And why is that? Our parents, our children, the people, that which they benefit us in is related to the dunya, the worldly affairs. And it stops at that. As for the Prophet ﷺ, the benefit he has brought to us is in both worlds. And if anyone from amongst mankind benefit us with a religious benefit, then it goes back to the Prophet ﷺ. Your parents, or our parents, they provide a clothing for us. Our parents provided a roof over our heads in normal situation. Our parents provided for us food by the permission of Allah. When we were sick, our parents went and got the medicine. Our parents took us to the hospital to see the doctor. These are the things our parents have done for us. But that's dunya we affair. And it stops here. What the Prophet has brought carries over into the next life and causes one to have everlasting life in the paradise. Nothing that our parents have done for us can equal that which the Prophet has brought. No child, no parent, no brother, no sister, no one. So this is why we love the Prophet Muhammad more than we love any person. The only love that we have for one that's greater that's greater than the love the only love that we have for one that's greater than the love that we have for the Prophet Muhammad is the love that we have for Allah and Allah is not from creation but as it relates to creation we love Prophet Muhammad sallallahu more than anyone and anything. Also from the nasiha for the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam is that we adhere to his commandments and we stay away from that which he prohibited. For being obedient to the Messenger means to be obedient to Allah azawajal. As Allah Azzawajal mentions, وَمَن يُتِعِ الرَّسُولِ فَقَدْ أَطَاعَ اللَّهِ And whoever obeys the Messenger, he has obeyed Allah. And whoever obeys the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he will go to paradise, بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى As the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned, كُلُّ أُمَّتِي يَدْخُلُونَ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا مَنْ أَبَى All of my nation will enter into the paradise except for those who refuse. 
قالوا يا رسول الله ومن يعبى the Sahaba they said oh messenger of Allah who's going to refuse to go to paradise the Prophet sallallahu mentioned من أطاعني دخل جنة ومن أصاني فقد أبا whoever obeys me enters into paradise and whoever disobeys me has refused so obeying the Prophet sallallahu is a part of having the nasiha for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam also we defend the honor of the Prophet sallallahu but in a legislated way we're not extremists like what happened when some individuals they made mockery of the Prophet sallallahu in the drawing of the cartoons and some Muslims took it upon themselves to be vigilantes and go kill individuals in retaliation for the defamation of the character of the Prophet This was not legislated. This was going beyond the boundaries. As we as Muslims, especially in the lands of the non-Muslims, we do not have the right to be like vigilantes and take matters into our own hands and go killing people. This is not allowed in Islam. And even in the lands of Islam where there is Islamic law, you still can't be a vigilante. The matter has to be taken to the courts. So there is structure in Islam. Islam is not a way of life that encourages chaos and turmoil. But in a situation like that, the defense of the Prophet ﷺ could have been done by refuting and speaking out against that which was done. And writing just as they wrote. And responding to their defamation of the Prophet ﷺ. And calling them to account by the standards of their own religion. Exposing their fraudulence and how they don't even practice their religion. And other than that. But this vigilante mentality... We're going to defend the Prophet and we're going to go out and take people's heads off. This is not from Islam. Or going about flipping cars over and burning cars down. This is not from Islam. This is Barakallah Fikum. You see that this is from uh, extremist behavior. And those who do not participate in these type of activities, it doesn't mean they don't love the Prophet. Our love for the Prophet ﷺ has to be within the boundaries of the legislation. Not going beyond the boundaries of the legislation. Also from the nasiha for the Messenger ﷺ, when you hear his name, Muhammad, that we say, Wasallam. And whoever sends one salat and salam upon him, then ten is given to him. Also from the nasiha of the Prophet ﷺ is that we aid his sunnah and we stay far away from innovation and the people of innovation. Because never does a person bring about an innovation in the deen except that a sunnah is lost. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, لَعَنَ اللَّهِ مَنْ لَعَنَ وَالِدَيْهِ وَلَعَنَ اللَّهِ مَنْ آوَ مُحْدِثًا وَلَعَنَ اللَّهِ 
من غير منار العرض أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم mentioned that the curse of Allah is upon three types of people. The curse of Allah is upon the one who curses his parents. Cursing your parents is two ways: either you curse them directly, or you curse somebody else's parents, and as a result, they cursed your parents. You're responsible for that. You're not supposed to curse people's parents. What is their crime? When you curse somebody's parents, somebody's going to curse your parents. You are the so you are is as if you are the one who did it, because there's a principle uh, uh, in the deen. Uh, a mutasabib ya'khud hukm al-fa'il That the one who causes something to happen He takes the ruling as if he's the one who actually did it I'll give you an example The hadith of Jibreel Right? When Jibreel came and he's asking the Prophet Tell me about Islam Tell me about Iman Tell me about Isan Who's answering the questions? Huh? The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam But what did he say at the end? Ya Umar, atadri man sa'al innahu jibir atakum yu'allimukum deenakum. Oh Umar, do you know who the questioner was? And Umar said, Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and his messenger knows best. He said, indeed, he's Jibril. He came to teach you your religion. But who was doing the teaching? Huh? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Why did he say Jibril came to teach you your religion? He was the cause. By his questioning... The answers came out And the teaching was established So because Jibril Was the cause He attributed the teaching to Jibril He came to teach your religion So when a person causes something to happen He takes the ruling of the one who has done the act And and likewise in in this hadith The curse of Allah is upon the one who curses his parents So if you curse Somebody's, you get into an argument with someone And then you curse the person's father You curse the person's mother And then the person t- turns back and curse your mother and your father It is as if you were the one who cursed them And some of the brothers can relate When we were younger and we get into an argument And somebody say to you, your mother What you say back? Your mother That's the, that's the right, right away You say my mother, I'm going to say your mother that's the, that's the normal response Your mother, no your mother It's the same thing You curse somebody's parents They will curse your parents The second The second That was mentioned The curse of Allah is upon the one who aids And supports someone who puts innovation in the religion This is one of the meanings of muhdif. Some other scholars say a muhdif is one who sheds blood without right. But other scholars mention that the muhdif, yani man ahdatha bid'atan fiddeen. The one who brings about a new invented practice in the religion. La'anallah man awa muhdithan. The curse of Allah is upon the one who aids an innovator. How does a person aid an innovator? By giving them a platform to teach people. By... Directing people to listen to them and read their books and lives. Don't direct no one to a person who is upon innovation. Be careful because the curse of Allah may fall upon you. And that's the shahid. So the nasiha for the Prophet is to aid the sunnah and combat innovation. And do not aid innovation or the innovators.
And the last thing the Prophet mentioned in that hadith, the curse of Allah is upon the one who changed the boundaries of the land. Like to steal land, people switch the boundaries to make it appear that they have more land than their neighbor. And they actually stole some of the land of their neighbor. That the curse of Allah is upon them. So all of this is a part of having the nasiha for the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inshallah ta'ala will stop at this point. And bi-idhnillahi ta'ala in the next class we'll finish off the hadith mentioning the last two categories of the nasiha for. Allah have mercy upon them and Allah have mercy upon them and, and yeah uh, Allah, have, Allah have mercy upon them and forgive them and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them the highest place in paradise and may Allah make it easy upon the families who lost you know, loved ones uh, in, in that fire Ameen we know the Prophet mentioned that the one who dies in a fire, he dies the death of a shaheed. So may Allah accept him all and give them that reward. Amen.